Well, I, uh, I grew up uh, Baptist. I became Presbyterian, but I remember from the Baptist church they said, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> Amen. We are blessed as a congregation to have many great guest preachers come. Last week we had R.T. Hindle. Next week we have Al Mohler. But this week we have Jim Wood, and I love it when Jim Wood comes. I hang on every word. He just has a way of preaching the gospel. Jim started preaching at the age of 15 at Montreat Church, and he was stunned when he looked out, and in the congregation was a guest, Dr. Billy Graham. How's that for intimidation? Little did he know that he would go on to serve as director of mobilization for one of the largest evangelical efforts in U.S. history, which was My Hope America with Billy Graham. Along the way, he has pastored uh, churches in Cape Cod, in Atlanta, in Tennessee. But even as a teenager, God gave him a dream for a home for children. And he fulfilled that dream in 1991 when he and his wife opened Ware's Valley Ranch. The ranch offers two homes uh, for boys, for girls, a counseling ministry, and a K-12 through school. The innovative tutorial model of education, which they pioneered, has become a model for other camps and conference facilities, serving hundreds of visitors and volunteers every year. They have uh, a summer initiative. They have conferences. Um, they have become a leader in reaching those kids from families in crisis. From the founding, the ranch has operated debt-free and without government funds, relying on God's miraculous provision and demonstrating the power of God through answered prayer. Jim maintains an itinerant preaching ministry, filling pulpits and speaking in conferences and retreats. He is teaching elder at Covenant Community Church in Wears Valley, Jim also hosts a radio program, Abiding in Christ, which airs Monday through Friday on satellite radio. His audio and video ministry reaches viewers around the world, and Jim and his wife, Susan, have authored 14 books. They have seven children, and they have 10 grandchildren. Let's give a warm apostle's welcome to Jim Wood. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is a joy to be here with you. I can update the bio with one thing. We now have 11 grandchildren. So <clears throat> we are very, very thankful and greatly blessed. And one of the great blessings of our life has been our relationship with this church and with your pastor, Michael. Um, he and I have been prayer partners since 1986, and um, I would like to feel that this is, this is the answer to my prayers. But uh, it has been a joy to see His faithfulness across the years and to see God's faithfulness displayed in your faithfulness. And we appreciate very much the prayers that have been offered on our behalf and the way that God has answered and moved. I hope that if you have not visited the ranch yet, you will at least visit our website, wvr.org. You can learn more there, and if you get a chance, how many of you, 
within the last five years have made a trip to the Great Smoky Mountains. Let me see your hands. Now, I know not all of you stopped by the ranch, but you're invited, okay? You'd be most welcome. We'd love for you to come and see firsthand what the Lord is doing. This is an exciting time at the ranch. Uh, the, the kids from the two boys' homes and the two girls' homes uh, are, are getting excited this week because one of our favorite holidays <clears throat> is coming up this week. I, I presume you all are, are in on this. You know that there's a big, big holiday this week, right? October 31st is Reformation Day. That's right. That's exactly it. It's exactly it. Now, there are people who are ignorant, and they don't know this, and they celebrate other things that are not nearly as significant, and most of them don't even know, even though they spend a ton of money on the celebrations and decorations and all that, they don't even know what they're celebrating. But we should know what we're celebrating. We are celebrating the fact that God restored the truth of the gospel to His people. And with the truth of the gospel came not just ecclesiastical freedom, but spiritual freedom, and out of it came political freedoms as well. The history of the world is vastly different because of what happened during the Reformation. God used very flawed people who were willing to risk their lives for the truth. And we should not overlook the fact that they were flawed people, but we better not overlook the truth for which they risked their lives. So, with that in mind, I want us to look in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. I was asked to give a title for this message, and I prayed about that. And uh, the title, if you have it in your order of service, is The Rebuke of St. Peter. Now, does that mean St. Peter got rebuked or that St. Peter gave a rebuke? Um, Before I read the passage, I will mention that this passage was so troublesome to some of the early church fathers that Chrysostom actually suggested that there was a conspiracy between Peter and Paul who came up with a way for Peter to look like he was doing the wrong thing so that Paul could publicly rebuke him so that the church would get the message. That's how hesitant certain folks in church history have been to recognize that Peter messed up, okay? But let's just read what God says in His Word, and I'll let you draw your own conclusions as to what happened. No, I won't. I'm going to preach a sermon about it. (laughs) Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11, this is God's Word. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified." If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. May God add His blessing to this reading from His holy and inspired Word. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, to the believers who lived in that region, and he is writing to them because he has found out some very distressing news. The so-called Judaizers, the circumcision party, had sent folks to where Gentiles had been converted and said, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh, 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 not so fast. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to become Jewish first. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to receive circumcision. And a bunch of the Gentiles who had believed in Christ, who had received the Holy Spirit, were saying, oh, well, I'm sorry, we didn't know that. Nobody told us that. If what... Whatever we have to do, we want to do. We want to do what we have to. I mean, we want to get saved, and we're willing to do whatever we have to do to be saved. What is circumcision anyway? Um, If we're going to have a circumcision ceremony this afternoon, and we asked if anybody else wants to sign up, I'm guessing no hands would go up, okay? But these folks were torn because it was like, we, we do want to be saved. And these folks who are coming down from Jerusalem sound awfully persuasive, awfully convincing. In fact, Paul said that it was bewitching, okay? Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? You started out so well, now you're taking a wrong turn. I can't believe you'd fall for this. Well, 
I seriously doubt that anybody here in this church is wondering whether or not you need to be circumcised in order to go to heaven. But I will say this. I've asked literally thousands of people, because of sometimes speaking to groups, I've asked hundreds one-on-one, but thousands if you include the groups, and I've asked them to put on forms. If God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? Okay, famous EE question, evangelism explosion. And, and the people who are totally lost as can be give the standard answer. I've tried hard to live a good life. I uh, don't intentionally hurt people. I've never killed anybody. I always look for that. Okay? I mean, most lost people will tell you, I've never killed anybody. So much so that if people don't say that, I get a little nervous. Okay? But, you know, I've never killed anybody, and I I try hard, and I know I'm not perfect, but I do the best I can. And that's how they hope to go to heaven. It's really the Muslim view of your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds, okay? And I I think that's perfectly reasonable. If if you went to lunch and your server said to you, I see that you ordered the soup. Just thought you should know the cook was feeling a little ill today. But over 50% of the soup is not vomit. I mean, would you want to go ahead and say, yeah, that's fine. Just bring it. Bring it on. What, what, is, what does God say here in His Word more than once? In verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because, here it is the second time in one verse, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul makes this same argument in the book of Romans. How many people will be justified by observing the law, by doing the right thing? Nobody. It's not, well, you know, I mean, you know, that's good for good people, but uh, some of us, you know, have messed up and we need grace. All of us have messed up and need grace. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not something that is a problem for some people. You know, that person has a rough background. I, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, they, have a, they have kind of a rough background, and I can see where they needed to get born again. Okay. Me, I've always been a pretty good, I was a good little boy. You know. It's harder and harder for the kids at the ranch to believe I was ever young. Um, a number of people have asked me about the beard. You know, what's, what's with that? I didn't recognize you. Um, This is so that I don't have to join AARP, okay? Everywhere I go now, instead of saying, uh, do you qualify for the senior citizen discount, which they're always afraid to ask for some reason, like, you know, some people are sensitive about their age, and it's like, you know, I don't want to offend you, ma'am, but uh, 
I was noticing your walker. (laughs) Do you qualify for the senior citizen discount? So with this, they don't ask, they just apply it, okay? And and a lot of times they'll even say, would you like some help with your bags? (laughs) And I say yes. So when you and I look back on our lives, we may feel like, compared to some other people we know, we've done pretty well. But when you and I, like Isaiah, behold a holy God, we say, woe is me, I am undone. Because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And if you are trying to jump the Grand Canyon, falling short is deadly. Okay? How many people will be justified by keeping God's law? Zero. None. Nada. Don't kid yourself. If you think that you can justify yourself in God's sight, I know I've done some things I shouldn't have done. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. But I'm thinking, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. Read Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, and didn't we do this, and didn't we do this? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. What's their problem? They had a list of things they had done in the Lord's name, like like casting out demons. Now, I'll tell you this. In most churches, people who do that kind of thing for God make the A-team, okay? That guy not only prophesies in the name of the Lord, he's actually cast out demons. Jesus didn't say, you did not prophesy in my name. Jesus didn't say... You did not cast out demons. Judas did that stuff. Judas did that stuff. But what is the biggest problem with the people in Matthew chapter 7? Their hope of justification in the eyes of God is, I did this, I did this, I did this. It is self-righteousness. Look at me. Look what I did. I've done this. No one will be justified in God's sight by keeping the law. So what was Peter's problem? Peter's problem was that he knew that and he was living like that until some other people who didn't know that showed up. And when they showed up, the folks from Jerusalem... When they showed up, Peter was afraid. And so he changed his behavior and began basing his behavior on fear instead of on faith. He was guilty of one of the sins that the book of Revelation talks about being something that will get you thrown into hell. He was guilty of cowardice. When you base your behavior on fear instead of on obedience to God's Word, that's cowardice. It is an abomination in God's sight. Can a person be forgiven for that? Yeah, Peter was. Okay. Thank God. But he was not only guilty of cowardice, he was guilty of hypocrisy, something else God hates. 
Years ago, I was a teenager, and I saw the preacher, Dr. Stephen Alford, in the restroom right before the sermon, and I, I, I'd come to hear him. I'd traveled to hear him. I was in my early teens, but I, I listened to him every Sunday when I was growing up. Dr. Stephen Alford from Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. He was from England, and he spoke with tremendous alliteration. It made it easy to memorize his outlines. Tonight, I'm going to speak to you about prayer. Prayer. First of all, we will look at the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. Secondly, we will see the pattern of prayer. The pattern of prayer. And finally, we will see the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Now, first of all, the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. That was an actual sermon. Okay. So I saw him in the restroom, and I said, Dr. Alford, what are you speaking on tonight? My text is, woe unto you, ye hypocrites. And I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be good. He's going to nail them. You're laughing because you know what happened. He nailed me. See, I'm thinking that he's going to preach about people who pretend to be Christian, but they're not really. I can't stand people like that. Aren't you hypocrites? Well, he talked about that a little bit, but he also knew his audience. And so he also talked about the fact that it is absolutely hypocritical when you know Christ to sometimes behave as if you don't, to live in certain environments in a way that hides your light under a bushel because you don't want to not fit in. Man, I was deeply convicted. When he gave the invitation, I thought, well, you know, I, I've asked God to forgive me and change me, but I'm not going up. I mean, who wants to go forward on a night when the message was, woe unto you, you hypocrites? You know? I mean, that would be like going up there and admitting that I've been a hypocrite. That's the last thing a hypocrite wants to do. I made it all the way through just as I am without going forward. And after... The last verse was finished. He said, some of you need to reconsider the words to that last verse. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, just as I am, I come, I come. If God's love has broken down every barrier, what stands between you and this altar? Now, I mean, tons of people had already come. He didn't need any more. I was sitting in the second row. It wouldn't have been a long walk for me. But when he asked that question, what stands between you and this altar, the answer was resounding in my brain. Pride. 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 I wanted to look good. 
I wanted to look like a good person. I wanted people to be impressed with my spirituality. And if I went up there on a night when it was about hypocrisy, I mean, if it had been about, you know, some of you realize you need to spend more time in God's Word. Yes. I'm here to sign up for more, okay? But hypocrisy, it's like going up and saying, I have been a jerk. I've been a fraud. I didn't want that. So now we sang the last verse one more time, only this time I couldn't sing. I was standing there crying. And I still didn't go forward because pride is a horrible bondage. Some other people came forward. Dr. Alford said, if you know you should have come, I invite you to come even as we pray. And so while every head was bowed and every eye was closed, (laughs) I slipped past the people who were beside me and made the long walk from the second row to the back of the crowd that was at the altar. Peter was concerned about what people would think. He was worried that folks in Jerusalem might hear that he was eating with Gentiles and they wouldn't understand, and so he just decided he wouldn't do it. He'd quit. So he withdrew fellowship from people who were his brothers and sisters in Christ, not because they were living in sin, but because he wanted to look good for the folks back home. Cowardice and hypocrisy. And because it was Peter doing this, other people were led astray by his sin, including Barnabas, who was the one who had taken Paul under his wing. I mean, good people can fall into this trap. That's why we need to be reminded of the gospel. That's why we need to be reminded that no matter who we are, the apostle Peter, Saint Peter, fell into this trap. But Yeah, but I wouldn't because I go to apostles. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is a danger for all of us. All of us are in danger of listening to the tempter who says, you know, what Jesus did for you is not enough. You've got to do your part. Now, I want you to understand something. There is a totally phony grace gospel going around right now in Christian circles that is basically encouraging folks to blow off the lordship of Christ, live any way you want, and it's okay because Jesus paid it all. Okay, well, let me tell you something. That's a great song if you sing the next line. Jesus paid it all. What's the next line? Exactly. So what does Paul say here? Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for myself 
Oh, I'm sorry. I think I misread that. Is that not what it says? No. It says, so that I might live for God. If I really believe the gospel, if I really believe that Jesus took the wrath of God that I deserved, then I'm not going to try and earn his love. I'm just going to love him. Can you imagine how heartbreaking it would be if after 44 years of marriage, my wife would look at me and say, I just wish that you could love me. I've tried and tried to earn your love, and it's just, it just doesn't work. No matter what I do, it's not enough. I just can't get you to love me. I'd be devastated. I love my wife. I tell my wife I love her. I seek to show my wife that I love her. And if my wife refuses to believe the good news, it would break my heart. Jesus died to save us. How could we possibly think there's something we can do to make him love us? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You need more proof? You need more evidence? He loves you already. But if you believe that, it doesn't make you live for yourself. It doesn't make you say, well, I don't need to be concerned about God's will. I'm just going to do what feels right. You know what feels right to me sometimes? Sleeping in instead of going to work. (laughs) But that's not the right thing to do. You know what feels right to me sometimes? Punching somebody in the nose. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe they don't have stupid people in Atlanta. But, but up in East Tennessee, we've got some. Some of them with Georgia plates. <laughs> and, and there are just those moments, you know, like when somebody's in a fast food restaurant and they wait until they get up to the counter to start thinking about what they might want to order? I mean, does that ever bother you? I mean, do you ever go there not because you think it's great cuisine, but because you think, I'm in a hurry, and I'm hungry, and so I'm going to go here. And you go in there, and some of the people in there, sometimes it's not the people on your side of the counter, sometimes it's the people on the other side of the counter. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, you just wouldn't believe. She said to me, it's like, excuse me, uh, do you work here? (laughs) Would you please work here for a few minutes? (laughs) Do you ever feel like doing or saying something that wouldn't be Christ-like to those people? Okay? And, And yet, God wants us to care about those people. Because, see, Jesus didn't come to save the good people or nobody would get saved. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. The only way, the only way that any of us could possibly have been saved was Jesus. 
Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But the Father didn't take away the plan. The plan was that the sinless Lamb of God would take the punishment we deserve. And on that basis, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Now, i got to tell you, when I read this, I'm glad to see that Peter sinned. Hold on. Some of you are like, what? You're glad he sinned? Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Yes. Well, I'm rejoicing in the truth that he sinned because that gives me hope. I asked how many of you have been to the Smokies in the last five years. Let me ask another question. How many of you would say that within the last five years you've sinned? That's more than have come to the Smokies. Even after we're saved, we still need a Savior. Now, we don't need to get saved all over again, but as we heard in the prayer of intercession earlier in this service, if we say that we have no sin, we are only deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the fact that Peter, this is after Peter has preached that fabulous sermon on the day of Pentecost. This is after Peter has been used by God to bring the gospel to Cornelius and his household. This is after Peter has learned that it's okay for Jews and Gentiles to sit down and eat together because in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. All that stuff that used to divide us is gone. And now the body of Christ in the earth is people of every color and ethnicity who've been brought together and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Peter knew that. And that's why it was so heinous that when he saw the folks from back home, he began to withdraw and no longer eat with these folks who were in danger of being seduced by the false doctrine of legalism that says you're going to have to start keeping the law if you want to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Legalism is a deadly lie because it will take your eyes off Jesus. It'll cause you to think that somehow you're going to earn God's love. Can't be done. You can't earn it. He already loves you. He already loves you. And you need to embrace the gospel, repent, and believe the good news. And then as you believe the good news... You want to live for him. You don't want to live for him so that he'll save you. 
You want to live for him because he saved you. That's what this is about, and that's why this is so important, and that's why I'm glad to see that I'm not the only one who has sinned since I became a Christian, because Peter is an example for us of a guy who messed up, and it wasn't the end of the story. Paul didn't say, ha, I thought he was supposed to be a Christian. He said, hey, Peter, you're a Christian. You know better than this. Don't do this anymore. And Peter repented. And you read the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, and Peter refers to Paul's writings as part of the Scripture. He says some of the things he writes is hard to understand. I'm really glad Peter said that too. I think there are some Christian theologians who need to realize that if St. Peter had trouble understanding some of Paul's writings, maybe they should be a little less dogmatic. You know? You know, just saying. But look at what Paul says. Verse 20, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Can you say that this morning? I've been crucified with Christ. What he did, he did for me, okay? That death on the cross, that was my death. That was the end of all my guilt and shame. Everything that stood against us was nailed to that cross. I've been crucified with Christ. When the devil threatens you and tries to say you're not going to make it because you're so imperfect, and I'm being kind when I say imperfect, when the devil tries to tell you that lie, you point him to the cross and say, that's my death. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, that is really, really good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are glorious, and your name is worthy of all praise. We want to worship you not just with what we say, but with what we do. Peter got in trouble because what he did did not line up with the gospel that he proclaimed. We want our lives to give evidence that the word we preach is true. Grant that that would be the case. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We confess that we have sinned and we want to be specific and confess our sins. But Lord God, we want more than that. We want to embrace your promise that we're not only forgiven, we are cleansed. And we want to live in obedience to you. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. For his sake, amen.